Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey everybody, how's it going out there? It's the boys from the Midwest back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room. And let's hit him with the takeaway message of the day. So today's message is going to focus a little bit on sales. I've been doing a lot of sales lately and just spending a lot of my energy on growth. And one thing that has kind of stuck out for me is um, this kind of push-pull theme. So I think a lot of sales is like pushing messages. And what, uh, what, what you find is the logic of pushing uh, somebody's always going to try to combat that. So how if you push too much, what they start to do is try to poke holes in your solution more. So that becomes a huge problem of if you're too pushy, people are then trying to find reasons to not buy your like most people think, okay, I'm gonna sell I'm gonna I'm gonna answer your objection with 10 more reasons. But what you're starting to do is create this, me versus you who's got the better idea and they're just trying to disprove you so it's really complicated but what i what what a way to get around that is to say okay it sounds like this is kind of not going how we should what what are some ways that you think if this all is kind of signed off and going better what are some ways that it won't go well well, I got a super easy one that occurred today when we had a vendor in at um, one of my clients and was selling us a particular marketing platform. And this guy would be like, you know, oh, here's the benefit of the product. It can do this. And, you know, if you're interested, let us know. If you're not, we can just go ahead and pack up our stuff and, you know, you can kick us out of here. And he said that about three times. But, but every single time he did as being like a cordial person you were always kind of like oh no we want to hear what you have to say and then all of a sudden you're on their side of being like no 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 so he was like pushing his thing and then requiring that pull back into the conversation and he he literally said you guys can kick us out of here and we'll be gone you'll never hear from us again and uh three times it, it was beginning middle and end he was you know we don't want to waste your time if you're not interested just let us know we'll just head out and um, he's definitely doing that on purpose. Yeah, he was. Did it work? Absolutely. He had the two people that he was selling to on the edge of their seats. They were, and I, I, I knew that the product they were selling was going to be of interest to these folks. I just didn't realize it was going to be of that much interest. And it really was extraordinarily well aligned with exactly what these people were trying to do. So the product, you know, was really well positioned, but he also did a really good job of like the push pull thing. And, and it's funny that you mentioned that because it was, it was so apparent. It's a good example of yeah. somebody who's, that's a, that's a very seasoned guy. And what's, what's interesting is, well, he's a UHG or so. Oh, there he goes. He's uh he, he, let's just say this. Um, he, had he had on so did he have tennis shoes on they were mock tennis shoe yeah, dress there shoes go. there you go yep you they know. were <laughs> they were there were tenny bottoms with this sort of jeans plat you know pat, sort of patent leather type fake leather thing or whatever mm -hmm. very they were gray uh very okay. startup vibe uh, he had gray slacks on, khakis. Mm, I'm surprised no jeans. Moderate? No, no, you don't. You don't wear jeans at UHG. No way. You don't. You don't wear. And or would you would you wear jeans at Target? You know who wears jeans at Target? The finance guys. 
the supply chain guys. Well, I'm talking the about like nice jeans. Uh, I know, I know, but he he was wearing he was wearing khakis, and then he had on probably the coolest sport coat I've ever seen. It was, uh, and then obviously the accent, the the star. Oh, did he have the the funky glasses. Oh, very funky glasses. Super funky. Not, but they were gray and black, so they were not the funky glasses where you're like, oh my god, I'm staring at your glasses. You're wearing orange glasses. You must be so out there. Oh, my gosh. Like you have gray hair with orange glasses. Oh, my gosh. You must be so much fun. You're Mm. definitely not in your middle life crisis. Orange glasses. Oh, my God. (laughs) You You are hip. You are so cool. Yeah. Uh, So they were, they were, but they were, they were very, they were, they were an accent piece. But this type of jacket was not a, um, it was like the cross between a, um, a sweater and a jacket, you know, so it had the sort of relaxed, like no crease type of a thing, but it had buttons and a collar and it was like a rather thick wool. It was, mm. it was very, very classy, mm. classy look. So as and you he can came tell, in and men he whined, look, he whined and dined. As you can folks. tell, <laughs> men also notice clothes. Yeah. Well, and I think it goes without saying. If you're trying to sell a product, look nice. You got You got to look you gotta, dapper. Yeah, and I just got a kick out of it because um, when he said he came from United, I was like, "Man, this guy—he really he you jumped could right tell. off the boat. He he was fresh off the boat. You still have your your uh, some of your cords attached. He probably still had his access cards, you know. I mean, but he did a great job. He's a very talented individual. A, that organization knows and how to. They know how to train him up, work. and I will be very surprised if we do not use his product. I got to be honest. So we'll see, but that push pull thing very push pull push pull works, and what it does, you know, it's a dance in sales, and mm-hmm. you're really playing more on the emotion of the people than you are, and it, uh, something that somebody told me a good thing about like sales moments are to create you create emotional moments, you create emotional moments, and one way to do that is like no 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 don't leave, you know like and making other people feel like they have the ability to make a decision. Another good tip that that we use is give people the ability to make a decision don't tell them to buy my product say hey th- you could buy this or you could do this or you could do this which mm-hmm. one do you like and then 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 um, their decisions are instead of yes or no it's yes 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 or no so your odds are just increased and then they stop trying to disprove and they try to think about what is better for me well, when you also give somebody the option to start having that yes and no conversation in their head, you lower the defenses. Mm-hmm, because sure. if I've just been saying yes the whole time, I'm going to want to say no. You want to say no. It's just, just natural you, human behavior. Yeah, you're like, no, I'm not going to buy your thing. Exactly. Like you just, uh, it, you know, like one of the examples of a telemarketer calls you, hey, so do you like, do you, do you like President Obama? Or like, do you agree Do you agree with what they're doing? If you say yes, well, are you, okay. And it's just like this yes train you get on and the whole time you're like, I, I, I want to get out of this. Yep. You How do, do I wanna, get out of this? You want to get off the train. And so you got to make sure to play that and give these people the ability to kind of be autonomous. And it's interesting because I am, I think so like, Sales is like a natural thing that I think we all kind of have inside of us. We all know how to influence people, but it's just what works. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, there's a lot of different things you can study 
in terms of sales, a lot of different books. Um, but I, you know, well, one thing we, uh, we certainly don't need to sell these days is hand sanitizer. So, I mean, um, that's a flying off the shelf. It's flying off the shelf. Especially the one gallon, the one One gallon. Yep. I don't know. It's that in surgical masks that don't work. Surgical masks that don't work. If you need a surgical, you need a respirator, you need an N95. Let's just lay the table, lay it down. So what's an N95? An N95 is a particular like industrial respirator. Is that that the one that you look like? It's got it's like more an Bane. alien. It's more Bane like. Yeah, you know? it's yeah. Okay. Does it have two? We're like, not talking. Breathing? You know how you got like the two breathing. It does. Th- the those exist, but an N95 actually just has like one airway. Okay. Uh, typically, they're they're a little cheaper. On Amazon, you can buy a four pack for or a five pack for eighty nine dollars if you want for N95. Yep. That's a lot less than I thought. Uh yeah I know yeah it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't crazy um for but five friends. For five keep friends, keep your family. Keep your family, yeah. Because we've got, I don't know, we've <laughs> we got weeks of this. This so is not this is not a flash in the pan. Let's just say that we're going to be experiencing this for the next two months. That's what it sounds like, and I think you know, uh, everybody. We've listened to a couple, I think, pretty decent experts. Yeah, and one infectious disease experts. One fantastic episode is the Joe Rogan podcast. He uh, connects with a gentleman, um, Michael Olsterholm or something like that, from who's an infection an epidemiologist from um, the Center for Infectious Disease. Uh, it's called SIDRAP um, Center of Infectious Disease, and uh, I, I can't can't recall what the it's a governmental it's, organization. No, it's a University of Minnesota actually. Hmm. Uh, well, he worked here. for the government. He did. Yeah, he worked for like so. He's basically like a a spy. He he worked in their department, not uh, a spy, well, but he, like he was in their he managed, their defense team. Yep, and he connected with um, folks who were part of the Russian bio weaponry program after the fall of the Soviet Union. And he wrote a couple of books about it. Interesting episode, and he goes into great lengths about um, what we're about to experience for the next two or three months. And um, so, it, what the the resounding thing I took away from it was: it's inevitable. Like there's going to be two or three months of this. Yep. Like we're just kind of starting the, and I think that's kind of the message that's getting to everybody. Yeah, I still feel a lot of hysteria around, which is a little bit frustrating. And um, uh, it'd be fascinating to see some of the hospitals gearing up for this because mm-hmm. um, they're really they're I mean they're turning surgery centers into you know kind of infectious disease wards and stuff like that. I mean they're mm-hmm. using. Uh, well, really, they should have all of these policies written up and, you know, SARS and, um, you know, you would have sharpened the pen when Ebola came and, you know, it was a big thing last few weeks so or last few years. But um, there is one woman I work with who is a nurse practitioner and has, I don't know, 30, 35 years of experience. She's been around and um, she was so frustrated with... Um, as we did this, uh, we did this meeting opener. It's called a segue. You know, it's sort of an icebreaker type thing. Mm-hmm. And the guy said, "What are you doing for coronavirus?" And so I went first, and I was just like, "Well, I'm, you know, I'm washing my hands more often," which I very much am. Uh, and this was prior to me hearing that the primary transmission occurs 
you know, through air. So, you know, you can wash Brush your hands all you want, want, but you can bathe in it. Yeah, exactly. You could be, you could be drinking hand sanitizer and, you know, that wouldn't really wouldn't do anything cuz um it's all about transmission through the air, uh, which is why it's spreading so fast. And um obviously, you know, Vegas is closing down their buffets, so yeah, sure. Then you know, there you go. Once you know, the buffets go, we're we're it's real. We're, yeah, it's very real. And so we went around the table and everybody says, you know, what they're doing. Um, you know, we've got the doomsday preppers who went out and bought the bags of rice and Ooh, bags of know, rice. Oh yeah. Oh Definitely. man, that'll keep you alive for a long time. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, the National Guard is delivering food in um, uh, New Rochelle because they've quarantined the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and obviously, you know, if it were to be on a mass scale, National Guard probably wouldn't have. I mean, but you know, we've we've been delivering food to people that um, you know we've invaded their country for years, so we got that. I'm pretty we sure know we, got the, that. How to we, deliver we know food. the game, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, food delivery, and, Amazon, we got that covered. And uh, you know, people were going around talking about their kids at school or whatever it was, and then this this um, this woman, she is just extremely exacerbated and visibly angry, and she's like, "Oh, you know, we've been through this before with SARS, and all. There's nothing you can do. Hand sanitizer doesn't matter." Yeah, whatever, you can wash your hands, but the only thing you really need to do is get out and go for a two-mile walk and eat your fruits and vegetables, and that's it. You can't do anything else. Mm-hmm. And and um, the room kind of fell a little bit silent. Uh, because we had, charged up. Yeah, because we had just, you know, everybody was like, oh, yeah, you know, I was at Costco, and I picked up a bunch of toilet paper, blah, blah, blah. Or, oh, I bought a bunch of rice. And then she says... That which is, which is exactly what you should be doing. I mean, that's probably the best defense at this point is to keep your body healthy. Keep uh, your body healthy. Right? That is definitely the best defense. Yeah, having an extra bag of Mind and body rice healthy. in your cupboard isn't going to fend off the coronavirus when you have but it. it. Yeah, <laughs> that's my question is like, what's the uh, nutrient value of that big bag of rice? Like, oh my how gosh, long will it keep you? Anyway, Toilet so. Toilet paper, you know. Yeah, just hop in the shower. Yeah. It's not like you're going anywhere yeah. if you're on quarantine. Jeez That's Louise, true. if you got a toilet, chances are you have a sink and a shower. You can take care of yourself. One would think, unless, uh, you I, know, with this virus, the water goes away. That is then what people are saying. And mm-hmm. and this is why, you know, I'm very grateful that I live on the banks of the Mississippi. So mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> you're covered. I'm, i got great access to water here. We're pretty close sure. to the Mississippi. Sure. Right I'm away. downstream of, uh, you know. Of the, me. Well, no, I'm upstream. Oh yeah, you're upstream. I, I'm uh, I'm downstream of the northern suburbs, so you don't know. You know. Oh yeah. So I might get a little. I might get a little dose of amphetamines. Yeah, yeah. watch out for the. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get my dose of Sudafed. But might come out of that little bug-eyed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and so he, she says this thing, and you know, oh, you know, this go out eat your fruits and vegetables, and we got all these doomsday preppers and whatever, and and then I just said. Ah, that's way too hard, and everybody <laughs> effing burst out laughing. Good one to hit the hit the hit the reset yeah. button on everything, and and uh, good crowd pleaser. Also, was the first time I was ever in that meeting, so I just fade back three, boom, oh, dropped yeah, it. That's that was good, good impression. Oh, I'm sure that was a good one. But uh, I thought that was funny because this is the American way. The American way 
oh, I'm going to go out and buy toilet paper, rice, and hand sanitizer, Mm -hmm. as opposed to being like, oh, maybe I should sleep well and go out and exercise. Do a couple push-ups. Yeah, maybe I should get my heart pumping, and maybe I should work on my respiratory system. I don't know. Maybe I should go for an effing run. Mm. No, I'm going to buy more brown rice <laughs> and toilet paper. I'm going to plug my body with rice. <laughs> it's just ridiculous, the, the society we live in. It's like, God, we're afraid. Well, that's how our we're re- so that's our, afraid of It's an easy reaction hard. is to go buy something. Exactly. And it requires no, no real change. Here, all right, so there were, there were some people who made a gosh darn effing trillion billion dollars on this stock market crash Mm. Mm -hmm. and there are also people who are going to profit off of first let's go on to the consumable goods because people are going out and buying shit like crazy okay 3m yeah 3m stock mm -hmm. i mean um Mm -hmm. but here's uh, the last piece healthcare if you're an insurance company and you're taking risk on a population Sorry to say this. This is going to be a banger year for you. Mm. Healthcare. Forget exp- about all the other stuff. You're not going to have. You're not going to have super expensive surgeries. Sure, you may have hospital stays, but you know what? More people are going to die, and that's actually good for the you risk if population. you're for the risk population. Mm-hmm. The best. If you're if you work for an insurance company, the number one way that you save money is to tell people to smoke. Mm. That's that's the quickest way to save money kill Mm -hmm. them off and unfortunately that's the reality of the world we live in is we have people who profit off of the death of others Mm -hmm. and 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 that's the effects are yet to be seen but if this really does sweep through the senior population medicare advantage plans baby they're going to be pumped at the end of the year yeah you think about you think about covering a risky patient who comes in and gets somebody who's near death anyways i'm just trying to lay the land for people of like what End of life care could be what twenty k a month, fifteen yep. k a month. You're on a respirator. Call it one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a month. Yeah, you yeah. have coronavirus sweep through and clear that place out. Mm-hmm. The insurance companies are going to be having parties. <laughs> oh my there. gosh! What? Well, <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, we were. I was in a um, a car for a long time with a number of people as we were heading out to uh, to to a client, and what we were talking about is. You know, this is nature. You know, this is an effect of nature. You know, and this is something that we need to be prepared for as a gr- as a country, in terms of the healthcare system. So, you know, we're we're trying to solve all of these other things, but if we're not prepared for a virus that can take over, like, what's the system for? You know, what is our system in place for? Is it to crank out knee surgery so we can walk? better or is it there or is it there to prevent some type of mass hysteria thing you know it's like how do you mobilize the troops and with all of our kind of special specialty physicians how do we have the appropriate support it's just gonna it's gonna test our system big time yeah i think it's gonna test the population too, our population too of like what can we handle well and it's a great example of um how uh, we were talking about this in the last podcast, actually, how 
in terms of the great scale of life, when you make all of this progress in one direction, there's pretty much always unintended consequences, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, in that podcast, they make a great parallel to the fact that we, we no longer have brush fires in the, uh, North American woods. We've essentially mitigated brush fires from occurring because of Build too many houses houses and because now it's managed land so you don't have these controlled natural burns which are really valuable parts of the ecosystem well they're very good for the soil they're very good because they're great they for the soil they get destroy the good nutrients exactly so um death is good for uh plants growing yep basically. and and this coronavirus is like um one of those unintended consequences of, you know, when we stop forest fires, we actually destabilize the system. And, you know, human beings have really destabilized the system with our choices. Big time. Big time. When it, it's that consumerist mentality too, uh, you know, and this goes like, are, is our population too big for the earth? You know, are we, are we at a point where we are over, I mean, we're obviously over consuming, yeah, given the given the lifestyle choices of how people, particularly in the United States, lived. I mean, obviously, we will destroy the earth within a matter of centuries. Mm-hmm. You know, oh I mean, yeah, unquestionable. Yeah, we're obviously, in, in any any data that you ever look at, what well, it points to that big time. Yeah, so I don't know. It's going to do a lot for emergency preparedness. Um, I I I would. You know, it's very hard to get away from the from the hysteria. Um, so that that was one thing I appreciated about this nurse practitioner. She was being like, you know, we just we can't. Oh, healthy habits. Yeah, healthy habits. Healthy habits. You know, and sure, you can limit your exposure to other people. Not go to public places. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, we don't it, need to repeat any of that stuff. You no, can find that you, you pretty much it. anywhere if you turn on any type of TV or computer screen. And now everybody you talk to is an epidemiologist or an infectious disease expert like us. Just you know? like us. We know yeah. exactly what's going on. We know the fix. Well, I've got my sto- my stockpile of to- toilet paper and brown rice, so I, I now can speak freely about... Uh, I mean, I don't, but uh, it's just... It's ridiculous. Uh, I don't know. The water cooler is becoming... Um, 100% occupied by this and eventually you know people are going to be staying pretty far away from one another I think the estimates are about one in nine one in ten people at some point in the United States will probably have the coronavirus hmm. and the estimates big. yep the estimates are about 450,000 people will die hmm. um, which that's worldwide no I believe that's in the US mm-hmm. but it what, could be two percent it could be two percent of all people will die Uh, well of all people who come into contact with it yeah Mm -hmm. and it'll be really interesting to see how it fares with those folks who are obese but um frankly that's going to be mexico's problem because mexico has taken us over as the most obese country in the world really that is true did we Um, just ship mcdonald's down there or what i don't know um i think it's i mean the biggest thing that i've noticed about a place like Mexico. Last time I was there, there's just pop everywhere. Oh yeah, the sugary drinks. The sugary drinks are all over the place. And for me, you know, I've done some work with some physicians in obesity, and every one of them says the first thing you do is just rip those bad boys out. Yeah. You know, you take. You'd be surprised. And when we were talking about the South a little bit ago, sweet tea. 
Sweet yeah. tea is like the silent silent kill the killer silent note. diabetic. Yeah, it's just, yeah. it's the sugars. That's what they call it. I got the sugars. Oh. That's what people in the South call the di- the diabetes is mm. I've got the sugars. Then you're also gonna have the one leg. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be Yeah, it's bad, but I think uh, that you know, like weight loss is just like the ner- your nurse was talking about. It's just healthy habits. It's the same thing. And and it's so funny because um, this physician that that I work with talks about this all the time. He says, the gym is for show. You make all of your progress in the kitchen. Yeah, that's the that's the theme and the biggest weight loss. So he used to work with Julian Julian Michaels at the Biggest Loser, and that's exactly what she would say. Was she had a sign that said, "It's all done in the kitchen." It's true at the gym, and you know. They what they would do is they'd go in and literally just rip all of their, go into their fridge, take everything out. They'd go into their, go into their uh, cupboards, take all the brown rice out. <laughs> all the like, extra TP, I don't know. Yeah, it's so what what uh, what's interesting is just going back to healthy habits, and I think we talked a little bit about like how do you, how do you see this as a, how do you change like how do we take this as people and make it somewhat productive. Yeah, less hysteria. Well, how do we it. how do we take this as an opportunity and you know move the needle forward? Because I will say, why this hysteria is going on? There's an opportunity to to better yourself and move more forward. You know, in comparison with the people that are kind of obsessing about, you know, we're now at one thousand one cases. We're at one thousand two cases. You know, you're watching the ticker. That type of thing. It's a good opportunity to get in and do some self-development, read some more books. Um, if you're at home, use that time to take care of yourself, like you said. I think those are great ways to take kind of this mass hysteria and say, you know, what am I going to do to kind of move this thing forward for me personally? Well, I think there's going to be a significant... Um, migration of American industries back to the United States post of this. I think it's going to become apparent. I believe hmm. the statistic this gentleman quoted was 86% of the dialysis medications are manufactured in China. It's hmm. probably not going to be sustainable. I mean, how, how much of a boon would it be to the medical manufacturing industry if we came to said, you know, as part of the emergency preparedness, a certain percentage of critical equipment had to be manufactured and I'm sure the government you know? would subsidize like having the government to subsidize these things would would help us kind of move away from relying on China India well it it does come uh, it's the first challenge to globalization that we've ever seen in our lifetime big time mm-hmm. other than climate change um, because climate change was actually too is is too slow it's way too slow and too it's not immediate exactly and it's not and it's interesting how we've been talking about climate change no like we're jumping in out of the paris accord we're do you know everything's happening but this comes and it's like it's hard to get it get away from this being yep. so in your face well the fragility of the global infrastructure becomes very apparent you're like oh well if the shipping lanes really do shut down mm-hmm. then what happens yeah, you know, where right. do we get our stuff? Where do we make everything? Which mm-hmm. is kind of crazy because um, you've got capitalists on one side saying, you know, let's always 
it's all about trade. It's all about the lowest place that you can do that. Mm-hmm. But um, this would be one argument where you would want to say regulation could be, you know, a net benefit thing for, um, you know, like let's just take the defense industry. There's a reason that we build so much of stuff the world's here. war stuff is so mm-hmm. that if it jumps off, we're going to be the ones who have the most of it. Well, then we know how like, to make it. Yeah, exactly. They're using that our stuff. knowledge of like how to make it yeah, there's it means a, a ton. The, That's the IP. Yeah. I um, I, I saw this, uh, this kind of post about the price of an F, uh, I believe it's an F-35 Raptor or is it an F-22 Raptor? I can't recall, but they're $126 million per plane. Mm-hmm. And Embraer is the Brazilian um, airline manufacturer. So they're the Boeing of Brazil, basically. And um, they developed a warplane, which is a single-engine prop, much like the Spitfires of World War Two, mm-hmm. And they love it. Because, and they've shipped a ton of them out to like developing nations because they're incredibly cheap. They're super easy to operate. They have minimal. Um, they have minimal uh, training. Minimal yeah. training, yeah. Minimal systems, minimal computer systems. Mm-hmm. But when you're just shooting Amazonians out of the rainforest, all you need is a gun. You know, you don't need a. And you so, need like a missile tracking system. Yeah, you don't need. System you don't need to launch it from an aircraft carrier and then have a laser guided missile that's dropped yeah. from a satellite. So, it's kind of crazy though because you think that there's like this huge advancement for the latest and greatest thing, but you don't realize that like well. All of these other countries, like, you know, um, think about the warring Middle East where really all you need is one plane to come through with a significant gun and, you know, lay down some cover fire and you're probably going to be sufficient. You don't need to drop a, you know, a $3 million bomb mm-hmm. all of the time, which is what we prefer to do, but, and, you know, and well, this is to the each thing, his own. But. Well, this is the thing I've noticed about a lot of businesses is what they do is they take a luxury and they make it available to the public. So you think of Uber, like black cars. That was like a luxury. Mm-hmm. And what they did is they made it available to regular people. And that's what a lot of these businesses that are very, very successful, they take what's a luxury and get it to the normal people so they can feel like they're special. Mm-hmm. So I feel like this is a that's a good way of saying, hey, here's a plane. You can have it. It's It's... You know, it, it's not it going to be the best plane you've ever... It's not going to be... You know, like... If we're not World getting, War Three jumps off, you're going to be screwed. But yeah, for now, yeah. you know, I mean, you'll be you fine. You can play... You know, here's your scooter. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can have your scooter and you can get around. But if you're trying to drag race, you're going to lose. Yeah, but but most everybody that you're hanging out with right now is on a scooter. Mm-hmm. So why not... Why not get the baddest scooter around? Yeah, this you know is a I mean? nice. This is a new. This is a green scooter. <laughs> yeah, you don't want one of those. It says black light scooters. up. This is light up wheels. Yeah, you know you got the uh, you got the uh, you got the little you got the wheelie bar on the mm-hmm. back. You know you're ready to go. Yeah, you're looking. For, you're ready yeah. for a good time. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have some fun. So I just think it's interesting how that you know like I I've been reading a lot of business, you know literature over the last couple couple months and this theme. And I think somebody pointed it out too of just how do you take an industry that's something that's really nice and get it to the public. And that's a great way to run a business. Great way to think of a product. Well, I, I just finished a book on the, um, 
uh, the resurging um, wood industry, uh, firewood industry. Mm. So it was a book written by this um, Norwegian and it was called Norwegian Wood and it was a book about cutting down trees and chopping firewood and burning firewood and stacking firewood and the stoves that you use and that was it. And it was an entire book about it. Mm. And it was kind of funny because they talked about um, during World War II, uh, there was a stockpile of firewood in Helsinki that was... um, almost like a mile by mile. Like they brought in so much wood because they knew that like, um, Hmm. it was going to be such a needed commodity. It could be like their their energy source. Exactly. Heating source. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it it, it was obviously rather dry because I don't know how you can make, you know, chopping wood, chopping wood, extremely exciting. There's not like a lot of, it was informative, but it was funny to hear um, him talk about all these like minute things about the pollution and the different types of wood that burns at a different rate and how um, the wood industry like, you know, sort of fell off in the 80s and 90s when natural gas was really coming onto the scene. And now they're seeing this resurgence sort of a thing where people so are what, like so the trees in Canada are coming down pretty quickly. How How do you like so how, what is somebody like that? That's like, oh, everybody should use wood. Um, what's, what's their response of like, we're going to do you plant tree? Like what's the, yeah. Yep. Um, well there are certain, depending on like how many buildings you're trying to heat, there are certain estimates as to how many acres of land you'll need in order to sustain a forest that will regrow back itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also talked about like, you know, just purchasing wood from a, a manufacturer who, you know, had the splitter and has the land and whatever. Um, so there there used to be a concern about like overlogging in Norway but they've basically they they actually I mean they have it seems like, like it's a math problem that you can It's solve. just a math problem and mm-hmm. they have like the Norwegian board of firewood and they research oh, wow. oh yeah they research drying times and wood density and optimal burning conditions. They got a lot of time on their hands over there. They have a lot of time on their hands. They got a lot of those oil reserves that they're sitting on. Well, if these guys are are having a national board of firewood, I mean... (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that would go so well with uh, the constituents here. No. um, We're going to... The government is going to allocate half a million dollars towards the national... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the National Firewood Association in order to optimize drying times. Yeah, they're yep, they're researching How do we types of wood hardness of wood. Totally. And you know, we got public school systems doing whatever. So, yeah, that's definitely a, a Norwegian thing. Um Hmm. But it was, it was at least somebody's trying to figure that out. Somebody's paying attention to it. So they're obviously How did you the get world, on the book like that? It was a gift. Hmm. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I uh I've been, uh, how do you, how do you get most of your literature recommendations from other people or, or, or do you just uh, kind of cruise the Amazon? I listen to me next usually book or books that I read reference other books other and books then you buy them. And I yeah. go into it. Like I'm a rabbit hole guy where I've, yep. and a lot of times if I listen to like a podcast and or then, I listen and to it's it, an author you're listening to I, yeah, and I'm, yep. I'm getting pretty good at figuring out if I'm going to like the book or not. What do you do when you're in a book and it's mediocre? And I it's, drop it. You drop it. I'm not the. You don't push the book. through. Nope. Yep. 
what I'll do is I'll skip ahead to see. Sure. You could just kind of skim. I go and I yep. look at the chapters to say, like, am I going to be interested in this? And maybe if I don't like the chapter, I'll just keep reading. But I've I've gotten over the, like, I'm going to finish 70 books in a year, you know, the, the number. The number. And I'm just trying to, like, get the content out of it that I think yep. I need. Because, you know, I don't, I, I, I want to, I've gotten in the habit of reading and I want to maximize it and. I found it's way more enjoyable if I skip ahead. Yeah, I, I've found myself butting up against this wall called the Gulag Archipelago, which is uh, oh yeah, oh my god, it's a book that Jordan Peterson continually references in all, his all the time. Yeah, and so I was like, all right, this has got to be something. Stick through it, Jesus! It's just misery. Mm. It is absolute misery, mm. not in the writing style, but it just depicts actual horrible misery mm-hmm. it talks about how i believe the estimates were um so the chinese famines of communist era there was about 45 million people who died over the span mm-hmm. of like i don't know 10 15 20 years Jeez. <laughs> like coronavirus is nothing on that pretty effing significant the gulag archipelago there was about um 30, 000, 30 million russians who died and they were um combination of work camps and um you know famine and you know inability to move food around the country and a desire to keep a stranglehold on the population you know the original communist manifesto sort yeah. of game right <laughs> communist, uh, communist attempt one yeah uh and so the book i keep reading deeper and then he just goes on to like here's another miserous situation that occurred in russia in the mm-hmm. 1940s and 50s and it's kind of like oh my god i get it it was horrible, but then I keep reading it because I kind of want to just push through and see if they're mm-hmm. ever going to get anywhere, but it's it's not a page-turner by any means. So. I, see, that's something that I, I do struggle with more. Of I, I really used to struggle with it because I really wanted to finish every book, and I wanted to get the full experience of the book, and I wanted to say, like, kind of appreciate the writer for writing the book and mm-hmm. say, like, I'm going to try to soak it up. But then I've, I I was listening to a podcast uh, on somebody who just was like, why, why are you wasting your time? It is, yeah. You know, like if it's if you're not getting anything out of it, there's nothing stopping you other than... And what I found out, at least for me, was my ego was there kind of like, oh, you need to finish this book so you can like, you can finish this many books in a year. Sure. Which, that's not why I'm reading, so... I, I just started going... ADD on it and mm-hmm. I read multiple books at a time and oh, just pick sure. it down you know drop it and whatever and, and it, it's probably going to take me a year to F and read because yeah. I'm just chipping away at it like several pages at a time but whatever I'm, I could probably pick up the ADD pace too yeah. with how I read I have probably three or four books going at once yeah. and sometimes I will just you know and, and for me what I found is for reading what works best for me is when I need when I like like right now sales I just go dive into those books and I get a lot more out of them. And then if I, you know, a moment that I don't need to, I step away from it and kind of read and it's just more fluid rather than like, this is my outline of my school project and I have to read these for these things. And sure. That's it. That's encouraged me. And one, one smart thing that I often recommend to people that are not reading is read something you like to read. Just get in the habit of reading. That's mm-hmm. more important than like 
sticking out with the latest Jordan Peterson novel or finding some self-improvement stuff that you need. It's just enjoy the act of reading first. And that will motivate you to build a habit of reading. You know, if you like Harry Potter, go for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, good advice. Um, Yeah, Uh, I just thinking about what I, I actually was getting um, sick of the direction I was going in my literature. And I was like, so I went back to the bookshelf and pulled out some old, uh, some old classics, some Thich Nhat Hanh. There you go. You know, Mm -hmm. getting back to, uh, and I, Tim Ferriss always asks this question, what is the one book that you've probably gifted the most? Mm -hmm. And um, I think I finally know what that is for me because I've always kind of been like, I I don't give a lot of books. Mm -hmm. But then I've found a couple instances where the book, so one of them would be Siddhartha. Mm -hmm. I often recommend that to people. That's a good one. And then the other one that I've just started recommending to people is Tao Te Ching. Mm, That's such a great book. Yeah. It's... It's such a good, simple, contemplative read that um, it, it, the barrier to entry is so low, mm-hmm. even though it's like so full of rich information. That um, yeah, and the way it released the information kind of releases inside of you is just different than other books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a good piece of literature, and it's I don't know forty pages. It's tiny. It's, <laughs> it's tiny, like, and it's. There's books written about that book, you know, like how do you, how do you interpret it, which is very interesting when there's other books that are quite popular that are just interpreting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all we got for you today, folks. Tune in next week when we'll be back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room. Hey.